You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. I'm Marcus Honeysett. We'd love you to click and subscribe to get notifications whenever new episodes go up. So hit the button if you haven't done already. In this episode, we're going to talk about receiving praise or criticism as leaders. Two very powerful elements of life and ministry. We all experience them in varying measure a lot of the time, and they both go to the very heart of approval, identity even. We need to think carefully about how we approach praise and criticism deliberately. What should healthy standard procedures look like for us? Because if we don't, it's so easy to get blown all over the place by them. There's another episode in this series in which we think about ministry and fear. One of the things we say in that episode is that fear feeds in isolation and complexity, and it's compounded by exhaustion and discouragement. Of course, the same factors are at play in how we receive praise and criticism. If we're isolated, exhausted, discouraged, we are far more likely to receive the gentlest of criticism as devastating, and the most hollow and flattering praise as self-justifying and seductive. It's no surprise that when ministries fail through adultery, there's very often a pattern of somebody who has been battered by criticism, has had a long-term lack of appreciation, and then finds somebody who comes along and offers them praise and affection, and we're easy targets for it. If you look at what Proverbs has to say about praise and criticism, you'll be struck by how often it says that criticism can be valuable, but praise can be destructive. In fact, scripture often seems to think that criticism can be helpful, but praise, if we aren't careful, is unhelpful. So take Proverbs 15.31, for example. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise, but he who ignores discipline despises himself. Or Proverbs 25, 11 and 12 starts with very familiar words. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Isn't that lovely? But it's actually about rebuke because it goes on to say, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. It's precious. It's valuable. And then you can easily find negative examples of praise. Perhaps the most famous is Proverbs 5 verse 3. The lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Proverbs in particular seems to suggest that criticism is harder to receive, but potentially far more useful. So why do I then find it easier to receive criticism as negative, and praise always as positive? Well, I guess it might be that the criticism tends to come from people I don't like. So regardless of whether it's right or not, I automatically write it off as legitimate because of the source, rather than asking whether God wants to teach me anything. And because I'm proud, I find that praise feeds my self-centeredness. And of course, when that happens, it makes me even less able to handle criticism in a healthy way. You might just like to hit the pause button and reflect for a couple of minutes at this point on which you find it easier to accept the validity of. Which more easily plays into the temptation for self-justification for you? 
And which do you find more discouraging? Praise, because you know it panders to something unhealthy, or maybe is even incorrect. Or criticism, because you find it so negative. Well, welcome back if you paused. Let's uh, think for a little bit about criticism. I guess we've all seen our fair share of criticism over the years. It's quite easy to lump it all into the same category and assume that it comes from those with critical spirits. Actually, there are lots of different kinds of sources. Google, where does criticism come from? You'll find some interesting answers. Cruel people, people who are never satisfied. Eh, not deliberately cruel, but nothing's ever enough. Just negative people who are wounded and always look through the world, uh, look look at the world through the lens of their hurt. You know, wounded people wound others, threaten people, threaten others. Self-appointed trouble spotters, constructive critics. They tend to get drowned out by the others, so easy to ignore constructive criticism because we assume that they're negative critics. People who simply don't care how their words are received or whether they sting us. I think that one of the most difficult ones is constructive but inept critics. They criticise things that really need to be critiqued. They try to do so fairly, but they don't know how to do so well. And then sometimes the harshest criticisms come from ourselves or people who are close to us. Of course, in any church where the minister is set up as the main or sole focus for everybody's aspirations for the church, or the focus for their aspirations for their spiritual lives, and also become the focus for every piece of criticism, that can be very destructive. We're desperate for you to feed us, we're desperate to learn from you, you're also the only one we criticise. Someone said to me just the other day, that they were familiar with church cultures that expected that their leaders, in fact every Christian, is uh, a sinner that struggles with sin and is also meant to be pristine. And leaders feel that tension all the time, don't we? We know that we're sinners, we know that we struggle with sin in our hearts, we know that we're delighted in the Lord's grace, we're declared righteous as well. But we also think that we have to behave and look pristine because people expect that that's what a leader walking with the Lord looks like. And woe betide us if we don't. Criticism comes. I sometimes wonder if one of the glass ceilings that churches reach in size is when the leaders are simply overwhelmed by criticism, being the sole focus of everybody's aspirations and the only focus for all the criticism. One of the things that happens when we are overwhelmed is the temptation to slip into paranoia. Then it becomes easy to take critique as threat, to put up all our defensive shields, and then people try harder to get heard, harder to get through those defensive shields, and so we get into a defensive spiral, a negative spiral downwards, and the ante just seems to up and up. The tension grows. There may be some value in considering the history and personality of the person who's doing the criticism in order to know how we should process it, how to calibrate our response. After all, if they're a friend, then their wounds are likely to be faithful and for our good. But I want to explore a bit further now, uh, not about the person giving it out, 
but about how we receive it. Because the way we receive it, particularly when we're tempted to respond out of gut instinct in the moment, always reveals something about us. Are you tempted to receive criticism as threat? If so, why, why is that? What do you think is being threatened? Are you more likely to easily dismiss criticism or are you more likely to dwell on it to an unhealthy degree? What defensive shield are you most naturally tempted to deploy in situations of criticism? Our response to criticism is often quite revealing, if we can get the objectivity to look at it ourselves. If we find ourselves uh, uh, immediately applying criticism of something that I have done to my identity, that might well be revealing something about me feeling unworthy, or a failure, or showing something about my need for comfort and support. If we can't be seen to make mistakes and fail, it might mean we're enslaved to impossibly high standards either by our own perfectionism or the expectations of others or our church culture. A friend of mine likes to say that leaders have to be the chief public repenters, because otherwise, how's anybody else going to know how to repent and forgive and receive grace from the Lord when we've fallen? But if we think that we have to uh, just be perfect in public, because of other people's expectations or our own, then woe betide us if we seem to make mistakes or fail. The consequences uh, we feel to be drastic to our identity. If we immediately receive criticism as a rejection or as a threat to our livelihood even, that might be revealing something about how we relate to the church. Maybe our perception of our employment conditions or lack of support or labouring under unrealistic expectations. Whatever, it is revealing factors that contribute to constant, low, medium-level insecurity. For me, my gut instinct, if I'm honest, is just to write off criticism as other people being wrong. If they're right, I would agree with them. And that reveals pride, and it leads to an inability to be corrected. And that stops me growing in faith, replaces it with an arrogance that acts as a protective shield, and it also prevents me from knowing myself. I wonder what your response to criticism teaches you about yourself. And then praise. What does our response to praise teach us about ourselves? Let's think about that for a few minutes. There is clearly good, sincere praise. The pleasure of expressing delight in something good. I love C.S. Lewis when he says that enjoyment isn't complete until it's expressed to other people. And you know, sometimes the thing that people enjoy and appreciate is stuff that we have done. The Apostle Paul's very given to publicly praising individuals and churches in a way that is only calculated to build them up it's not calculated to flatter, to manipulate, or to get anything from them. In fact, he's explicit about that. He says to the Thessalonians, both, uh, you know that we never used flattery, we didn't put on a mask to cover up greed, and God is our witness. We weren't looking for praise from men, not from you, or for anybody else. 
That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he also says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And that's later on in 1 Thessalonians 2. And then there is both praise that is sincerely given, but it's given to people who have sought it insincerely. For example, the hypocrites in Matthew 6 with their performance of religion in order to get praise from people. And there is praise that is insincere, because the person who's giving it actually is after something. Praise that is a subtle bribe, praise given duplicitously for advantage, even if the things that are said are true. Jude chapter 1 verse 16 says that greedy, evil people flatter others for their own advantage. The word used for flattery in Proverbs, halak, I gather has the connotation of being smooth, the smooth tongue of an adulteress, like oil or honey. Well, I wonder, what does the affection that accompanies praise do to you, positively or negatively? And do you have any standard responses that help you to receive praise well? I find praise is really interesting to think about. It's important that we're able to distinguish compliment from flattery. Of course, there's a very thin line. It can easily cross from one to the other. Like I said at the start, the most frequent cause I've seen of ministries ending through adultery have involved someone who is vulnerable, perhaps because of criticism, then being appreciated, praised and offered affection by somebody who might not be badly motivated. How do we receive praise genuinely but humbly then, and without it feeding pride? Because when we can't accept compliments, that's also revealing something. False humility, guilt, unworthiness, not accepting the things that can be true of us, things that God has given to us to give to others. Praise can be very complex. There are definitely interesting things going on when we're incapable of enjoying appropriate appreciation. But how do we resist the immediate temptation to deliver more of what's been praised for the sake of getting more affirmation, and then turn ourselves into people-pleasers, who become unwilling to do things that may be right but unpopular? What does our response testify to in our relationship with God? And how can our standard responses open the door to spiritual growth? The crowds chanted to King Herod that he was a god and not a man. And because he didn't turn the glory to God and put it where it was due, he was immediately killed by an angel, we're told. Compare that when, with when the crowd wanted to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas in Acts, believing that they were Zeus and Hermes. And Paul and Barnabas tore their clothes in horror and begged them to turn from their foolishness. Clearly, how we glorify God when people want to put us on pedestals is key. Proverbs 27.21 says a man is tested by the praise that's accorded to him. When it comes to developing good responses, I'm a big fan of standard operating procedures. 
standard mechanisms that help me process things. Maybe that sounds a bit mechanical. Maybe it is a bit mechanical sometimes. But I started on that trajectory when I realised that if I didn't have knee-jerk ways to go to write processes and procedures for my thinking, that I was just driven by gut instinct, especially in such emotive areas. First responses always show something about us. By personality, I'm highly emotional, tend to be a bit mouthy, and I'm trying to temper the downsides of that. I guess you may be the opposite. But standard learned responses that we hone and improve over time, for me, help to ensure that I respond to criticism and praise when they come with deliberateness and hopefully thoughtfully rather than unthinkingly and just in the heat of the moment. They help me to exercise restraint. They help me to listen in situations of criticism. They help make my head get less big when I'm praised. The psalmist says that it's only when he goes into the sanctuary of God that he gets proper perspective on troubling things that are oppressive to try to understand. I believe that unless that's where we go, then we never have the resources ourselves to say things like, I care very little whether I'm judged by you or anybody else, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 4. Now, that only comes when we're with Jesus. So prayer and Bible are crucial. Jesus says, Mark 3, he gathered the disciples and called them to be with him. It's only when we're with him that we're able to put the glory in the right place, to evaluate these things correctly. After all, who wants to take the glory uh, to ourselves when Jesus is right at our shoulder? The thing that I find destroys good process for me is isolation. I'm so bad at processing both praise and criticism purely on my own. There's no objectivity, and these things are powerful in areas of emotion and identity. Here are a few more things that might help deal with criticism wisely and intentionally if you internalise them. So practically, never process criticism alone. Do get the help you need, making sure that you're not just gossiping about critical people. Wise counsel is vital, good team members, helpful third parties. Safe people who let us just let our hair down but won't let us get away with just bitching about people. Maybe have a standard agreed process with church officers for dealing with criticism, particularly the criticism that comes through anonymous letters, as it does sometimes. We have to think, what does our response to criticism witness to? What does it demonstrate? Does it demonstrate restraint? That we're remembering that soft answers turn away wrath. So we don't ever start defensively. We listen, we avoid firing back. When somebody's dishing out criticism, they're probably at fever pitch themselves. Standard operating procedures for when it comes, that we're going to listen, that we're not going to fire back, that soft answers turn away wrath, very often take the wind out of people's sails. It exhibits teachableness and the ability to be corrected. 
It might come hard, but thanking the person for offering it is almost certainly going to help them more than getting defensive. Thanks for sharing that with me. I will consider it. Is there anything else you want to tell me? If they're clearly correct, then we need to repent. But we don't immediately feel that we have to either embrace all criticism or reject all criticism. It's easy to knee-jerk to self-defence or blame-shifting. It's very easy to defend ourselves by going on the attack. Much harder but much more valuable to ask whether anything that's been said, regardless of how well it was said, could be true of us and whether God is wanting to say something to us. If it's unclear whether the person is correct, we shouldn't let them go away thinking that we've agreed with everything they've said just for a quiet life, especially if they're criticising somebody else to us. So an answer that goes a little bit like, I will have to explore the whole story, at which point the issue might appear differently to us, might be the wise way to go. And if you do need to respond in a negative or only semi-accepting way, don't do so immediately. Say something like, you know what, I'm going to go away and I think about what you've said. I'll respond to you by the end of the week. And here are a few more things that might help us receive praise, but without it feeding our pride. I think it's good to receive passing compliments with passing thanks. When somebody says, nice sermon vicar at the end of the service, you say, thanks very much for the encouragement. And we should always ask, what could I say that helps the one who is praising to see God's hand in what they have received from me? Because that helps make sure that the praise that comes to us, that rightly belongs to him, is directed to the right place. Come to think of it, if praise comes to us that rightly belongs to another person, it's good to direct that to the right place as well. When more fulsome praise comes, it is important that we check in our minds with prayer, whether it's about something that has genuinely helped people, delighted them with God, and isn't insincere or has come from some ulterior motive. We want to be able to express our joy in being able to serve God and the people. But the delight should be delight in the good done, not in the praise and the emotional buzz that we get from it. Well, may the Lord help us think deliberately about these things so that when praise and criticism come, they help us to grow in grace, grow in leadership, enjoy Christ, enjoy resting in him, and not enjoy resting in whether or not I am feeling affirmed and bolstered, which is much more about my bruised and battered ego than whether or not I'm enjoying the grace of God in Christ. Well, I hope that's been uh, thought-provoking and helpful for you. Once again, do hit the subscribe button and check in when new episodes are posted. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.